welcome to the ALN podcast series. If you like what you're hearing, you can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you all for being here today on this September 2nd, 2021. I am Nick Kanoki and I'm calling in from my home in Lander, Wyoming. Uh, before we get today's session underway, I just want to thank our patron sponsors, ABS Quality Evaluations and ABS Group Company and Onuma System. Uh, without their support, we would not be able to do programs like this and like our upcoming fall event. Um, these are our organizational members, and they also help support all of the activities of the ALN, so we are very grateful for their continuing support. And one last plug before we get underway, Mark West will be our next uh, guest on this show. So that's next Thursday, September 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and with that, I would like to say, if you're out there watching and listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please send in any questions or comments. And if we don't get to them in this first 30 minutes, sounds like we can go into overtime and Mary will stay around to ask, answer some more questions. And Mike Bordnero, take us away. Thanks, Nick. Um, and uh, uh, thank you, Mary Adams, for joining us. I am very excited about this. Um, uh, I um, came across or met Mary Adams because Jim Dieter is working on the ISO 55000 rewrite. And there is a focus on uh, multiple levels of establishing value. And he introduced me to this concept of six capitals. And he found an article uh, that Mary wrote on six capitals. And the title is Six Capitals or Is It Seven? It's just the concept of, you know, valuing things by more than just one financial uh, bottom line. And the article had the best introductory paragraph I've ever read in my life. So I just immediately said, I am reaching out to Mary. I've got to talk with her. Our first talk, an hour flew by like that. And I said, we've got to get you on uh, ALN Thursday at uh, four. And uh, Nick, if you could stop sharing uh, your screen. I think you're still sharing. But um, the thing that I'm excited about is sharing what Mary has to offer with our group because we've been focused on physical assets. And ISO 55000 is about intangible assets also. And one of our board members and ALN senior fellows, Rich Culbertson, keeps saying intangible assets are most important. Tangible assets are most important. Mm -hmm. And I learned from Mary that most assets in corporate America are now intangible assets. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. Um, and thanks for thanks for having me, Mike. I, I think one of the things I'm 
especially excited to be here because there are so many um, innovative and uh, exciting things that are going on in different um, parts of the business world. And sometimes we discover each other and we're like, oh, you're thinking about that too. So uh, I think this is a really good example. I, I wasn't really familiar with ISO 55,000 before this, but um, I think there's just incredible intersection there. So um, the question of value is, is an interesting one. And I started my career as a, as a banker and um, back in the eighties, um, you could look at the balance sheet of a company and you, that would explain um, between 80 and 90% of the value, the corporate value. So you take the stock value and you compare the balance sheet and you could see where the value was because we were in a tangible industrial economy still. It was, it was at the tail end of it, but you know, you could see it was the buildings, the equipment, um, you know, all the rest of it, uh, land. So um, what happened in the interim? Two huge trends. One is the rise of the uh, com computing power. So the personal computer, then, you know, the internet, then all of our, um, internet enabled devices. Um, so that created a whole lot of new sources of value for companies. And then also the um, shift away from the idea that uh, companies are only responsible for their, you know, their own profits and, and their own success and that they, they have no responsibility uh, for you know, the larger uh, ecosystem that they exist in. And you know, that's about climate change, it's about all kinds of environmentalism, it's about um, so many social movements that are happening. So those two uh, kind of mega trends have, have gotten us to the point where now value is completely flipped. And if you look at the balance sheet of the average public company today, only it only explains about 10 to 15% of the total corporate value. And so there's no formula. Nobody can tell you exactly where that that value is because there's we live at the kind of the cusp of this huge change, but but that's like a, a really good key indicator that something is something has changed and we need to think differently. And what are some of those other values? Is it like intellectual property, copyrights, brand? Right. So, so the, the emerging kind of model that it, it came out of um, the intellectual capital movement and the integrated reporting movement, and that's getting um, rolled into, there's a lot going on um, with the ESG world and different forms of standards. Um, so ESG, the, um, ESG. Sorry, envir environmental, social, and governance. Okay. And that's that's kind of a catch-all term that people are using now for talking about all of those externalities that companies um, are being held responsible for now. So. Oh, and while we're on ESGs, I, I'm a good student. I remembered something that you said when we talked the first time. What's happening with companies that uh, are looking at ESGs? So they're they're outperforming the market um, considerably and. Companies that are are thinking about, you know, their their external footprint and their relationship with their stakeholders um, came through the pandemic much better than than all the rest of the companies. And so, uh, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of American uh, 
investors and finance financial people were thinking this is this is this a fad is this real and then um, people are seeing the results now and um, you know it'll be a while before the academics validate everything but it's there's a clear difference in the performance uh, of the companies that do engage because they have higher trust they have better knowledge um, more flexibility because they have better relationships with their stakeholders. Is so, there an example of a company that you can think of uh, that? I mean, we can, uh, you can think of almost every, you know, um, why did one shop stay open and why does another, you know, close? Gotcha, and, gotcha. Uh, you know. Okay, um, just in my local neighborhood, a restaurant that's remained and a restaurant that hasn't. Yeah. Right, yeah, and, and just multiply that by, you know, by a lot, right? And the companies that were able to completely shift their business model, um, you know, or, uh, you know, maintain better relationships with their customers, you know, uh, the loyalty thing. So there, um, I, I should get to a marquee example, but I feel like there's so many around us that, okay. you know, very but successful companies and others. So basically, we, go ahead. It makes sense that if you're focused, if you're thinking about environmental and social and governance issues, you're going to be more responsive to conditions, and therefore you'll probably survive a pandemic better than someone who isn't ESG oriented. Right, and it, and it gets back to stakeholder engagement. If you're having conversations, if you're thinking uh, from the perspective of the people who are part of your your value, that then you're going to be better prepared for emerging trends and frankly for emerging opportunities, right? That's that's the flip side of this is that all of these huge changes in our, our economy are also opportunities, right? So, um, you know, if you can find the way to, to uh, navigate around them, then you're in much better shape. So if I can, I'll go back to the six capitals is that Oh, please, so, that was gonna be my next question. Yeah. Well, that was the question, but we kind of got off topic. But so, um, you know, we're all familiar with financial and what the, what people called man manufactured. So those are fixed assets, right? So financial is the first kind of capital. Um, manufactured um, is the second. Those are have always been on the balance sheet. We all understand those very clearly. There's another category that um, people have all kinds of words for it, intellectual capital, um, structural capital, organizational capital. But what it is essentially is everything that's inside the computers, right? So, you know, in, in asset management, obviously you keep track of the computers you own, but the value isn't in the computer. I mean, that's a, that's a commodity. The value is how you're using it. So um, what's the data that, that you're using? Um, what are the processes that have, have grown up around something? So that's, that's a really powerful um, capital and, and we can come back to that in a second. Okay. Um, but uh, those are the three big ones that a company owns. So financial, manufactured and, and structural or organizational capital. Then there are these, what, what I like to call attracted assets. So human capital is a good example, right? Um, yes, you can, you can have a certain level of control of your, of your employees, but you don't own them. You have to attract them. They, you know, they have to want to be there one way or another. Um, 
relationship capital that's with your customers, with your suppliers, with your community. Again, that's licensed to operate. They choose to do business with you. You, you earn the, their support and their involvement. Mm -hmm. And then finally, natural capital is the sixth of the um, model that um, is being used most broadly. And that um, in some cases you can own, you can own land, you can own water rights, but, but there, you know, your, all the, all the garbage, all the, you know, um, carbon dioxide, um, wastewater, all those things um, are part of your, you know, use of natural capital and uh, increasingly companies are being held responsible for that. And then when I talk about a seventh capital, I talk about strategic capital because there's something, it's like, there's nothing holding all those things together unless you have you know, you have a business model, you have a culture, um, you know, you have a reputation, all these things that are kind of at the core of it. It's like the nucleus of all the, of all the capitals. So um, why, do we, why do we do that? Um, it's just like any other uh, exercise of, you know, what would, would be your first thing if I showed you a new, um, you know, building or an asset that needed to be managed, you'd want an inventory. So, mm -hmm. so that's the idea be behind these capitals is that, they, that there are different places where the value of the company is being held. And like, like any asset, it, then it's put to work. And so you look at it both in how it's being used um, day to day, you know, week to week, month to month, but also are you ensuring that it's, that value is preserved and that, you know, you'll be able to use it one year, two years, five years, 10 years from now. And mm -hmm. so um, at, as with all assets, you want to you know, husband your resources, but also produce your, the value and, and the, the profits that ensure that you continue to operate. Excellent. And that's why I was so excited when we first talked because what you're saying here uh, is, perfectly aligned with what we're trying to do and educate people how to use ISO 55000 as a strategy checklist, basically. Okay. Have you thought about which leader is going to sign your strategic asset management plan? Who's going to own that? And do you have all your stakeholders involved? It's, you know, the things that you were just saying is on the list, but it allows it to be a structured and strategic approach to creating that list. Um, are you aware of other organizing principles that people are using? Nick and I were just talking with someone from GE Digital who says that they use lean as their policy. They wanna be agile. Is there right. any overarching uh, system that people are using to guide the six or seven you know, other than your consulting services, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think uh, the, the idea with the capitals is really to incorporate this into the way people do things now. So that's a really interesting question. Is there an overarching? Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I've been very involved in with in recent years is something called integrated reporting. And that's you know the, a public company approach um, that uh, is basically bringing all a conversation about 
all of these capitals into public company reporting. So the, the best example of that in the US is Intel. You know, they have a page for each one of these capitals in their 10K. And they um, use that as a, as a way of thinking, you know, holistically about um, what they're doing. Um, another exciting way that I've seen um, used for management is to uh, think of the company as a value chain. Now, you know, the value chain comes from Michael Porter. That's it was in competitive strategy from what probably 40 years ago at this point. But mm -hmm. this idea that, um, you know, there, uh, you break down an organization into the components of the jobs to be done and how, you know, then figure out how all of those fit together um, and then integrate the different uh, KPIs and the different capitals and the, all the costs so that you really get where you have like a true cost ownership, uh, you know, a true understanding of what's going on and actually how do you move the needle because now you're, you're looking at what's actually happening, um, not just kind of, you know, from the outside in creating a system that doesn't, doesn't integrate with what, what people are doing every day. So I started off by saying, uh, complimenting your writing, which I really like. Um, you. You've written a book. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so Intangible Capital, it's been a while now. Um, it's probably due to be updated, but there's so much going on. I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten there. But um, it, it, that was uh, basically writing out and explaining how we came, the, the systems that we came to develop, um, working with our clients who are primarily privately held businesses, um, you know, middle market uh, or, or segments of larger companies um, that uh, to explain, you know, how do you, how do you have a strategy? How do you uh, think about your company in light of this enormous shift that's happened that we talked about, about how, where value comes from. So if you want to try to understand, uh, you know, how do you grow your company? How do we fix things? What are, you know, what are the, the challenges we're facing? Um, if you only look at a balance sheet and an org chart, you're kind of missing some, you know, you're missing a lot. So how do you lay that out and, and understand um, the company? So the, the theses of, the, of all the, the sections are, you know, um, uh, what's what does your new balance sheet look like? And and the idea that your company is a machine, it's just that most of the machine is now invisible. And so how do we Ooh. how do we get our you know our hands around that and understand it and see it? I so. like that. Um, but uh, <clears throat> to the audience, just everyone can see why I was so excited. That, you know, <laughs> Mary coming in really gives us some meat in this uh, uh, strategy uh, approach. And, and so the one thing I was going to talk, because I, I said to talk a little bit more about the intellectual capital or structural yes. capital. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's really could be relevant and interesting to talk about here. And I'd love to hear your feedback. But, you know, my kind of marquee example that I always use in training and, and in writing um, is Federal Express. So because okay. um, it's a business that we all understand, basically. Right, at least the basics of it. Yep. Um, and so uh, Federal Express has, uh, you know, last time I checked, like 
one of the largest private air fleets in the world, right? So that's obviously very asset intensive. Uh, you can find a lot of information about that part of their business and in their financial statements. Um, but if you think about it, and if I gave you a choice, if you were, you know, the God of Federal Express or somebody, and somebody's giving you a choice between keeping all of your tangible assets or keeping your intangible assets, Ooh. what would you choose? And so let's, let's think about that. So the, the intangible assets, um, you know, just very simplistically, uh, if you think about the end-to-end -end processes that they've developed over decades to know before I even give them my, my shipment, I'm going online and telling them it's coming, right? Mm -hmm. To where it is at every moment, what's the optimum routing for it to get from here to there? How do you get through customs in 200 countries? Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the details. So that, that involves process, it involves, you know, um, competencies that you develop in your people. It involves an enormous amount of data. Um, and so that end-to-end -end system, if you think about it, that's really what FedEx is. The rest of it, those are generic planes and, you know, um, commodities. Scanners and yeah, they're all commodities that, that, you know, anybody could buy. And obviously you wouldn't want to lose them, but if you had the choice, you Keep couldn't it. rebuild the company without yeah. having that, that, um, that, you know, intangible capital. And so that's, that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's why this is also important. That is a great example. You have uh, talked on this subject before. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of our audience members, uh, Jack Kelly, who I hope to introduce you to, uh, was with the Office of Management and Budget uh, for the White House for 36 years. Wow. And he's asked a question that was going to be my next question. Um, but I wanted to give him credit for bringing it up. How are governments able to use the six capital approach? Is that something that you could see would improve a governmental organization? Well, definitely. I mean, um, but I, I, I have to say that I have a bit of humility. My father was the, the um, state auditor in New Mexico a long time ago. And he told me once that there are like 12 different accounting standards for government. So <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it's a challenging question, but um, it's, a, it's hugely relevant. Like uh, you think about the, the role of so many um, of our governmental agencies and, and um, uh, different services that they provide to, you know, other to cities and counties and to people and you know um it, it's really it's all about the intangibles i mean obviously you want to keep track i mean just what we just said about fedex if you if we picked an example like i don't know the irs i mean that's all about data and um learning and and processes and and you know so how do you the only way that I know to, to keep track of something and to, to improve at it is to actually be as deliberate about those assets as you know how to be about tangible assets, right? And, mm -hmm. and then take that, take that perspective and say, you know, 
and and this is what I think this has been the missing link for so many of us. Um, you know, we see stupid decisions that business people make, and they they make all the sense in the world if you're only looking at an income statement or, or even a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you fire people or you you know um, completely change a system without taking into account how all the things that this is connected to. And so um, getting to where you have that perspective. And I can tell you, um, I've seen just a very few cases where I know that this is being, this kind of thinking is being implemented. And it's usually kind of from the intellectual, uh, you know, like intellectual property, you know, patent world, because that's another area where there's a lot of overlap in this thinking. So I know like in, you know, different European countries, that's where I've seen it um, at the governmental level. Okay. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the way, it's the only way you can really think about it. Um, And if we can bring more discipline to it, then I think it's better for everybody. Yes. Um, Usually we start off by asking about the background. I was a little too excited and just jumping (laughs) into things. So I'm going to end by saying uh, we provide a little bit more background uh, about yourself other than uh, your banking background, but use that as a springboard for what you think you're going to be doing going into the future. How are you going to be helping people going into the future? Sure. Thanks. Um, So mentioned I started out as a high-risk lender, and then um, over 20 years ago, uh, didn't see, you know, when you don't want your boss's job, you have to do something else. And so I started a consulting firm, and as I mentioned, working with privately held businesses and, um, you know, trying to help companies, I I felt the lack of some kind of um, system. So that's how I got involved in all this. Um, And then there have been kind of two two threads that came out of that, all that work. One was, the, my work with the Exit Planning Exchange, which is a, a network of advisors to privately held businesses and um, the focus, not just on doing deals, but how do you build private businesses that then can you know, outlast their founders? And so we now, um, we start, a, a, a small group of us started it in Boston about 14 years ago and we have, um, I think it's 16 chapters now. Um, It's really started growing quickly. So um, that's an exciting thing. And then in the intangible capital space, the thing that I'm most excited about right now is a project that I'm working uh, with a software company that came out of the IT world that um, uh, basically uses the value chain to, uh, as a metaphor and then, or as an organizing principle and breaks down what a company does. And then at each, in each link of the chain, you can look at what, what are the total costs? What are all the resources you're using? What are the KPIs that are relevant? And look at it in an integrated way because that's the, the hugest challenge here is how do, you, how do we integrate? Um, you know, uh, analysis is easy, synthesis is hard. And, and seeing how pieces fit together and getting meaning out of it is, is where I think there's you know, a huge opportunity. So, and, and I think um, you know, the ESG thing is a good catalyst because 
investors are demanding that companies are bringing in more KPIs and, and different different metrics. So if you if you have that catalyst, that helps. You know, when the investors want something, that helps drive change in the market. So I, I think there's a real opportunity there, and um, holistic thinking is is the goal, right? So that's yeah. What I, that's yeah. why, yeah, that's why it was so fun talking with you. Uh, it's, it's not preaching to the choirs. We're, we're in the preaching to the preachers level. <laughs> and there, there are a lot of, a uh, lot of good people are on the list. You don't know them, but I'm so happy to have the audience that we've had. Matter of mm -hmm. fact, uh, Jack Kelly is going to join us. And uh, before Nick does his routine, I'm going to say that in overtime, and you said you would stick around, so thank you. I'm gonna to talk uh, to you about uh, a program we're doing with the Government Financial Officers Association on urban wealth funds. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, before Nick starts, I'm also gonna say that event is on September 28th. So you can register for it on our, I'm not telling you, Mary, this is for the commercial for the audience, but if you're interested, I would- I, I, would I write it down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on the 16th, we have a program with the uh, Australian Asset Management Council, which has been around for 31 years. And it's quite an honor to be doing success story web programs with them. And uh, that's on the 16th. Uh, again, you can find that on our website. So. Okay, Nick. Ah, well, I'm not here to cut anyone off. As you know, I'm just here to say uh, thank you to our patron sponsors, uh, ABS Quality Evaluations and ABS Group and Onuma System. Uh, these are really cool organizations. And if you wanna find more out about them, you can go to abs-qe.com, abs-group.com or onuma-bim.com. Uh, and we are grateful for their support, as well as our organizational members. Uh, without their continued support, we would not be able to do programs like this every week or our informative newsletter every week. So big thanks to them. And one last plug for next week's event, uh, September 9th, 2021 at 4 p.m. Eastern. We will have Mark West uh, on the show. So stay tuned for that. And it looks like Jack Kelly has joined us. Yes, Jack, before I introduce you, I want to say that Mark West is with ABS Group, and um, we're really excited to uh, be having uh, him involved, and that uh, also we're having uh, uh, our annual event, and it's going to be October 12th through November 12th, but we've got so much material that we're having an event on October 7th beforehand to explain everything that's happening. So uh, be prepared for a lot of programming from the Asset Leadership Network. You will not be able to uh, get to it all, I am sure, but we're gonna have a wealth of material for you. And again, Jack, before starting, let me finish up with this urban wealth fund uh, approach. Uh, Dag Detter wrote The Wealth of Nations, a book that explained, are you familiar with that, Mary? Mm -hmm. Okay, he spoke at uh, the National Academy of Sciences as our keynote for, uh, I believe uh, that was the year the book came out, 16 or 17. Anyway, now he's worked with the Government Financial Officers Association to uh, establish the value of generating urban wealth funds, which takes uh, 
municipal or local government assets that can be commercialized and generate value for the, the mm. municipality outside of their tax bases. And I'm looking forward to finding out uh, what uh, they're saying about that. And Governor uh, O'Malley, the former governor of Maryland, uh, has uh, accepted our invitation to keynote that. So he'll probably have a couple of examples. So now it's my pleasure to introduce Mary Adams and Jack Kelly. So uh, Jack, what did you think about Mary's answers to your question? I loved it. I mean, this. so you mentioned earlier that Jim, that Jim Dieter uh, was working on the revision of ISO 55,000 and I'm on the same working group with Jim and doing that. And what's been so interesting to me in this process is learning about new, what to me are new ideas like the six capitals. And, and Mary, hearing you talk about it, and, and I love your FedEx example, it's, it, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be thinking about asset management because we're thinking about it so much more broadly than it's been traditionally thought about. And a, a couple of other things, when I think about, my, I, I was a troublemaker that asked the question about government. And because to, what's interesting in government, there are a couple of emerging ideas, I guess I will say, that government has been working on for a while that, to me, may intersect with this. One of them is customer experience. And so, and that's a, a friend of mine, Martha Doris, is a, is a big proponent. She, she, when she was with the federal government, she was with the Office of Government-Wide Policy. Actually, no, she was with the Office of Citizen Services in uh, the General Services Administration. And she was a, a big leader and a big proponent in customer experience policies. And she's got a consulting company now that, that promotes that and she has a newsletter and all that. So she's, so that's been something that was relatively new on the scene from my career perspective. And the other one, and, we're, and this has become a really hot issue these days, is advancing equity. So it's another, it's another way of looking at what government's responsibilities should be. And to me, I, I don't know where that fits in the six capitals, but I'm sure it fits in there someplace. Yeah. And it's uh, maybe the human capital part. Um, anyway, but my, my overall point is people are now thinking about assets in a much broader way than, than I've ever thought about them before. And I love your comment about from your dad about the all the different government accounting <laughs> systems. Uh, one of the things, what's one of my pet peeves, I actually did a I was part of a presentation to a, a college group out in California telling them how the federal government is different than the private sector. And one of the, one of the ways, and this is not something I'm proud of, but in the, in the government, you have, you know, the budget process asks you to estimate your costs in a certain way. It's basically accrual-based accounting. The, finance, the, the financial reports, the, the financial reporting standards that the government uses actually cause you to report your cost, your expenses in a different way. So you can't do the usual, you know, plan versus actual kinds of comparison that you can in the private sector, which I think is absolutely horrible. I mean, I just think that's, but it's, and it's, you know, I'm, I won't, that, that's a rabbit no, hole. I'll try not to go down. Reserve, yeah, reserve accounts to get created. So um, a couple things about what you were saying, Jack. Um, one, I mean, the equity is, is a really, it's, it's totally analogous to what corporations are being asked to do, right? Is to think about, you know, what, what is the effect of what you're doing and how does that, you know, how are you influencing that? Because, right, we realize now that government was the, 
you know, government policy actually had huge influences in how um, we had equity developed in our, in our, um, our economy. Um, one other thing I just wanted to add that I didn't think of when you asked that question, because I was thinking like at a at a agency level or you know kind of an operating level, there has been a lot of work done um, looking at the intellectual capital of nations and cities and that kind of thing. So looking at you know the whole group, and um, uh, Leif Edvinson had a book on that, um, but it's it's along that you know the the same stream of thought about kind of the wealth of nations thing, so. Ah, well, let me let me ask a question uh, based on some of the things Jack was saying and what I saw your eyes light up. Um, the integrated approach, how do you help people break down those silos? How do you help them integrate things that haven't been done before? So, uh, you know, the, the main thing, the starting point I always use is, is identifying, you know, taking an inventory, right? Because until you understand what are all the pieces of the puzzle, there's no way you can put the puzzle together, right? Um, mm -hmm. so, so if you can identify what they are, and then I think one of the, the hugest challenges that we have, because it, we weren't taught to think this way and, and our tools don't necessarily all do that, but what are the interconnections, right? So, um, you know, you make a decision, it, it seems straightforward, you know, buy, buy a piece of equipment or, or you know, um, renovate something. But, but what about the human element there? And, you know, how do you, how do you um, what, what, what do the people need to do to make that happen? And, you know, how do those pieces fit together? And, you know, we're taught to think kind of, as, as I said earlier, in financial, um, you know, org charts and, and, you know, the way things are organized, that's not how really work gets done. So, um, you know, getting it where you can, you can connect the dots is, is really, you know, what you, where you want to get to um, and understand the interrelationships. I'm sure 50 years from now, there will be massive, you know, algorithms and software and stuff. Right now, we're just, you know, like saying, huh, we really should consider that. <laughs> Right, but I think you know there is more. Uh, you know that's why I'm I'm focusing on software right now. Yeah. So what uh, what are you doing with that focus on software? Uh, taking the tool that's already been used for um, you know optimizing performance and and integrating all kinds of new metrics into it, and um, so yeah, just okay. starting to test it out with some people. Okay, so um, Jack's, you know, experiences with the Office of Management and Budget, you know, clearly financially based. Uh, how frequently are you working with chief financial officers? We found that they are very influential in, in uh, instrumental in initiating change right. or improvements. I don't like to use the word change, improvements. <laughs> improvements. Um, I think they're, they're key um, and, that, you know, uh, I can tell you a ton of the work I do in terms of just developing and advancing the ideas is involves, um, you know, the different accounting um, associations. Um, you know, the, the CFOs, I usually don't use the, you know, the language of, I mean, you're, you're not selling 
the, the idea of the capitals. The capitals are a tool, you know, a means to the end, right? So mm -hmm. you're still talking about performance, um, building corporate value, um, you know, uh, building resilience in the organization, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's just, these are new, new tools in the toolkit. Okay. Well, Jim Dieter, our CEO has a question. Uh, as a leader, how would I act differently using the six capitals? Uh, I think Jim, that it gives you a, uh, a mental model that's more helpful. Uh, it gives you a vocabulary. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I like to, um, you know, use the analogy of, you know, basically, if you know the, the poem about the blind man and the elephant, um, you know, people see different pieces. And so, you know, because so much of this value and these critical assets are invisible, um, everybody has their own mental model of how it all fits together, right? So. If, you know, if we all come into a room and actually this is an exercise I like to do, you know, if you start with an inventory and then you start saying, well, how are all these things connected? Um, now you have a drawing of, of what your machine looks like. And mm -hmm. that's an enormously powerful thing. The um, visualization. Just that, that, so everybody's on the same page. So. You know, um, and it and there's a place for everybody, right? Um, if you you know you talk about business model, and it's just um, kind of cold, you know, um, step by step. There aren't people in that picture, right? Um, mm -hmm. there, there's not an understanding that you know there's computers. What's in the computer? There are the people, and then who's helping? You know, who's helping you? Whether it's internal or external, um, and who's your customer, right? So having, being able to create these mental models, uh, uh, sorry, putting your mental model on the wall and, and having a shared uh, view of this. I saw, a, I did programming for a number of years in the inter, um, integrated reporting community that I started in the US. And um, there was a woman from Etsy who showed the model that they had developed. And it, you know, it doesn't really matter what it looked like, but it was like, you know, resources came in, there was a circle, there, things went out. I mean, it was their model and it was how they explained who they are and what they, you know, what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of examples like that of public companies that, you know, have come up with a model that references different capitals that, um, you know, a visual does a lot to uh, back up what, what, you know, what we're saying, but what we're saying is kind of abstract. I see what you're talking about. The visuals help you right. say that. Jack? So I just want to, Mike, I just want to correct one thing you said about my background at OMB. It was, it was a whole lot more than just the money aspect of it. I was in the program <laughs> performance as well. And so, um, and that is huge. And so one, one of the issues that we're wrestling with in, in the revision of of ISO 55000 is the issue of value and how do you you know how do you express value and it's not just value as in financial terms it's value in in other terms and i i have a personal preference i'm not sure how popular it is but my personal preference is that you you have value that you 
that you that you want to measure, and you measure it in terms of what your what your objectives are. So my objectives are X, Y, and Z, and here's how well I'm doing. So anything that is that you can anticipate and want to focus on, you should be able to create a KPI for it. And so otherwise, you don't know whether you've gotten there. But one thing one thing I realized I was listening to some other folks talk in our last working group meeting is that value in most people's mind is bigger than that but you know but i'm i'm, I'm a quantitative guy so i if you can't measure it how do you know if you've gotten there but and so where my current thinking is i'd be interested in your thoughts on this too is like so there's there's the value that you can that you know about and you can measure and then there's value that kind of pops up that you didn't ever think about and so it's and so and that's important too so it's it's being able to not only have your normal reporting mechanisms out there that are based on what you know and, and what you know you want to do and what value looks like to you, but then you also have to somehow, and I don't know whether this is in you know, surveys or whatever, I don't know the mechanism for doing this, but you need to have, be able to capture things you hadn't anticipated. And, 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 and when you capture those things, evaluate them like this was a good thing or a bad thing so and um, and that's the tricky part i have no idea how you do that but it's um but that's yes. something worth doing yeah so so the word value is is so loaded right because value to whom value what you know um uh and you know in the corporate realm then you have the stock market value which has you know is is a completely independent process right don't get me started on that yeah. stock market's a casino <laughs> um yeah so uh i knew you guys that, would hit it off i knew it <laughs> but so one of the one of the things that i think is really interesting and is overlooked because you come in with all this new thinking and we say oh well you know we, um we're, we're going to think about all this in different ways and and so we we neglect the fact that um, we're still spending money on things, right? And and you know the the accounting model um, is is broken because and with good reason, but we we don't have a solution to it yet. That especially for the non-owned assets, but also most of the intellectual assets, it's you know you're spending money. It it shows as an operating cost. It's not put on the balance sheet. But it wasn't really an operating cost. It was an investment in your in your capability and your resources, right? And so um, we don't we don't have a solution to that, right? But so but we can't just throw up our hands. What we have to remember is we are spending money on that. And so finding finding the um, you know extracting and, and saying. How much is what is our total cost of ownership of this asset, you know, whatever it is, and and how does spending money, you know, what's what's the um, you know capacity of that, whether it's you know how many users it can serve or whatever it is. So, you know, we spend the money. What's the capacity, and then how does the needle get moved with with the different KPIs? It's all value, right? I mean, one of the ways we do it in, uh, you know, is to link KPIs to the different capitals just so that you begin to, um, you know, make it a little more um, visible and understandable. So, um, so um, Jim just said non-owned assets. So 
That's why I, I like ask to call them, about that, but I'm I, I like to say attract, attracted assets, right? Because um, you know, there people are lending you whatever it is, um, and, and it's part of your your value creation machine, right? So a loan, a business loan, would be a non-owned asset because I have to pay that back, or? Well, yeah, no, but I'm saying like people are are an attracted asset. Um, ah, you know, ah, and you don't own people. Ooh, that's a good way of, of doing it too because we've been trying to, people want, it's natural for folks to say people are our most important asset. Right. Then you get into the idea of slavery and you don't want to talk like that. So yeah, right. non-owned assets. Yeah, no, it's a, um, okay, Jim wants to come in now. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to go along. This is a great one. That's funny. Um, uh, um, but can I tell a little story just because I think it's, it's please, a really while fun and it's good, good to have. Um, there's, a, there's a groceries chain here in New England um, called Market Basket. And there was a, a two sides of the family were involved since the beginning. It was founded by two brothers several generations ago. And one side of the family was involved, the other side of the family wasn't. And they didn't like the way the guy was managing it. He did a lot of really enlightened things. Um, anyway, the, the other side of the family kicked him out. And within thir roughly 30 days, many of the employees walked off. They weren't unionized, but they walked off. Um, the senior managers left, um, a longtime suppliers stopped delivering, customers start, stopped coming, and all of a sudden the company was worthless um, because they did not support this move. And it's, it's just such a stark reminder that they still own their stores, but they were empty because all of, the, all of those non-owned assets or attracted assets um, chose to walk away. So. Yeah, we're no longer attracted. You're Hi, muted, Jim. Jim but uh, yeah, uh, put my pleasure to introduce Jim Dieter to Mary Adams. Hi. Hello. Uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, we need to find some way to get you to stick around for other things. <laughs> uh, the specific reason I wanted to join is, you know, part of the discussion on uh, the ISO 55,000. Uh, the breakthrough concept in the standard is that instead of using a financial definition of asset, it uses a definition that's anything that provides value to the organization. Oh, it does. I like okay. I was looking for that. And I, okay. Really interesting. So that opens lots of doors. So uh, an example is I'm a trucking company. My trucks are assets. My warehouse is an asset. My loading equipment is assets. My administrative equipment is assets. My building's an asset, and once I, the truck drives out the door, it's running on highways, and it's stopping at gas stations, and it's going across bridges, uh, and that those are assets, clearly, to the organizations, but organizations are not programmed to think about those in the same way, because <laughs> we're living with that 18th century definition of asset. Uh, if you think about it, it provides value is, yeah, roads and bridges. You know, if I'm, if I'm a restaurant and I have a side, there's a, I can have a sidewalk cafe in COVID times, that sidewalk is absolutely an asset to my organization. Uh, 
I just wondered if you had any thought about that from a, you know, your, uh, you know, your strong financial background of where does that go? Or is, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we make that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you have to, you have to take them into account, right? And so, um, you know, thinking that through and, um, you know, uh, a trucking company has to think about that means, you know, by extension, they have to think about the gas station, but then they have to think about the, the carbon and they have to think about, you know, supplies and what, what technology. So it, 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 you know, broadens your perspective, but then, you know, you, you whittle it down to the ones that are, that clearly are, you know, the critical, um, you know, some, some are more important than others. I mean, a lot of people use a, a you know, four by four grid, right? Um, important to stakeholders, important to us, you know, um, intersection. Um, and then get a little better, as I said, at, at thinking about the cost side of that, right? Um, and and the, the risk and the liability stuff is, I think we're, we're, I think that's where we all need to start talking with the people who are experts in risk, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, uh, there, there are just so many, uh, yeah, latent risks in these, in, in the environment that, that people haven't considered in the past because it wasn't a direct risk, but, um, yeah, I love, I love the definition. I, I, I was actually looking for that. So anything that provides value to the company is Organization. So my, market, my market basket, um, or organization, sorry. Um, my market basket example is relevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I live uh, surrounded by an organic vegetable farm. Mm. And the farm stand, which is one of their means of distribution, is on a four lane, hugely uh, trafficked commuter road, which they are now widening and cutting back entrances and putting up sound walls. Uh, you know, so clearly that road has been an asset, you know, to the farm stand, but also the farm stand is an asset to the community, you know, that is now uh, negatively impacted by the road. Uh, so it starts to see that interconnected web sort of a thing of, uh, right. of how it's all connected, uh, which is interesting to think about. And, right. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to think our way through it in this ISO effort, uh, but we have people that are uh, very old school in their approach as well. Uh, and in fact, the Aussies told me in a call the other day that uh, if you don't own or control it, that's not an asset. I'm sorry. That's it. Even with that definition. So. You, sorry, you said the Aussies? Yeah. yeah. And you were on that conference. Because it's interesting because there, there are a number of academics and, um, and business people in Australia who have done a lot of work in this field. So um, yeah. I guess that's disappointing to hear. <laughs> they haven't made inroads there. With the, uh, well, yeah. you have brought me to what I would like to kind of wrap this up with because we could go on for days. How can we integrate with your integrated uh, community? How can we bring information to your people 
because clearly you're helping our people. I think we could do that here. And we're starting a relationship with the Australian Asset Management Council. So maybe we can also provide some information over there to do that. Link yeah, no. Um, so the this integrated reporting community um, kind of went on hiatus for a while during COVID, but it, it was less about that and more about the all the shifts of their like, you know, alphabet soup, everybody's merging and, you know, but basically the outcome is going to be hopefully a much more simplified set of standards for people for reporting on, on some of these things. So, um, you know, we'll be starting some programming and I think people will be fascinated to hear about uh, ISO 55,000 because I think it's very relevant. And then, um, yeah, and then we'll see. I mean, I think in the accounting communities, I think there's there's um, you know people that start thinking about a multi-capital model. Then you know the next question is, well, what do you do? You know, what are we doing? You know, and how do we manage it? And and I think um, you know your standard is a really is a really important ingredient of of like the strategy that we should all have going forward. Well, deal. We will continue. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue communicating, and I think uh, uh, we'll be bringing some good stuff to the world. So, thank you for joining us, Mary. Thank That's you great. to all the attendees. Uh, so many stuck around. Uh, you know, yeah, 90%. great chat. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this was yeah. really good, and uh, we'll be in touch. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, yes, I can't wait to keep talking. All right. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com. You can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net.